I don't know how many of the listeners out there are fans of pinball, or even if the kids these days are really going to start seeing that many pinball machines out there in the wild, but that's the vibe I get from this list that we're going to talk about today. This is going to be a 40-point Night's Watch list featuring Jon Snow, the 998th Lord Commander, a bunch of conscripts, and then some actual capable people on our list. Uh, this list is going to feature units that are going to be uh, available around the time of this recording. So no Heroes Box 1, unfortunately, which would vastly open up your options here and change this list around a lot. So we're basically dealing with Core Box units, uh, Ranger Hunters, and then throwing out the Conscripts out there as well. So just noting that's the limitation we have here for anyone listening to this way down the line. Uh, before we get into things, we of course have to talk about this week's sponsors, which... Despite my persistent um, attempts to get out of contractual obligations, it turns out that um, you should really read things before you sign them. So, of course, we are going to be talking very briefly about Totinos. But, luckily, it turns out that by a very specific clause in this contract, I do not have to talk about these damn pizza rolls anymore. Um, I can talk about any of their products, which I was very excited about until I learned that Totinos makes exactly two products. They make their pizza rolls, and they make their party pizzas. And you know what? We're just going to talk about something that's not Totino's pizza rolls. So let's talk about their party pizzas here, which uh, their newest flavor here would be macaroni and cheese with bacon, because that's something you need to put on your thing. Now available in a party pizza multi-pack, so you can get four of these things, which I assume is just going to be a thin layer of cardboard-like substance with some swarm of meat and cheese on top of it that you can put into your body if you want to, you know. Uh, if you have some self-loathing issues, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, that's our sponsor out of the way, and now we can actually get to talking about the real bulk of this topic. So our list. All right. Here's what we got. 40 points. We have Jon Snow, the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He is going into a unit of Ranger Hunters. We have Ghosts tagging along as well. We have another unit of Vanilla Ranger Hunters. We have a unit of Ranger Trackers, and then we have three units of Conscripts. For our non-combat units, we have Craster, Ally of Convenience, and Bowen Marsh, the First Steward. All right, so let's talk about this list and how it all functions together. Uh, I'm not going to go over the generals of how Night's Watch play. Basics here. You know, you've got your Vow mechanic. When you play your Tactics cards, you're going to be able to equip those Vows onto a unit. They're going to get additional effects. So usually when I'm playing Night's Watch, I want to have some measure of control over the Tactics board and where I'm going to be placing my guys. Uh, usually that's going to make me want to run Littlefinger. I'm a big fan of putting him into a Night's Watch list. Um, but the points were very restrictive with the specific type of list we wanted to run today, and I wanted to be able to spam some activations in here, which is not usually a typical thing for Night's Watch. Uh, and I needed to control semi-specific zones here. So... What that is going to break down to is that our tactics cards are going to be very useful, as you know the valve mechanics are, but the majority of our army, aka three units of conscripts, cannot really make use of them. So we're going to be relying on our ranger trackers and our two units of hunters to deal most of the damage here. Ranger hunters are one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite, Night's Watch unit, but they have a very high skill cap in how to utilize them. So this is one of the reasons I like playing this army is because you really have to think on your feet. You have to be um, really knowledgeable about the interactions and positioning of your units in order to make this effective. So that's something I want to say going in. 
This is not going to be like if you were playing, say, a Sworn Brothers spam list where you can just kind of, I'm going to run at you and out-heal you, not last you. This is going to be a different style of army here that can really focus on objective and scenario play. I actually feel can accomplish more than if you're just spamming a bunch of Sworn Brothers because the thing is that list is kind of limited in what you can and can't do. You're just hoping your opponent plays your game. If they don't, then you're going to be in trouble. This list right here can systematically dismantle a lot of other armies if you're smart about it. This list is also not super forgiving, though. If you start making mistakes and you let those mistakes snowball into bigger mistakes, you're going to have a bad time. So the um, fundamentals of this army are going to actually be your three conscript units. These are going to be very cheap, almost disposable guys here to a degree. The thing about the conscripts, they've got a 5 plus defense save, an 8 plus morale, they can't attach vows, and their combat capabilities are kind of lacking. I mean, they've got an okay attack profile at 7, 4, 3, which puts them slightly ahead of the curve on Lannister guards, uh, <laughs> which are not known for their combat capabilities. If they're at full ranks, then they've got a pretty harsh drop-off, and they only hit on 4 plus. They also can't attach any vows, but they do have the reinforcements ability, which is each time the unit activates, it may restore up to D3 wounds. If you control the wealth zone, then you can restore three wounds instead. Now, a lot of players are going to know that you really like the Wealth Zone uh, as Night's Watch. The thing is, that perception mainly comes from a lot of lists that are running Aemon, and also the fact that the shield that guards the Realms of Men is one of their stronger tactics cards. This is true, but again, we are running a list that can't really utilize the shields of the Realms of Men, and unfortunately, we didn't have the points to include Aemon in this list either. So those are two things to factor. This is going to throw a lot of players uh, through a loop as well. If they're playing against what I would consider the current standard Night's Watch army. Because again, you're mainly utilizing starter box items. Which is going to be Jon Snow with a bunch of Sworn Brothers. Which everyone goes like, oh my god, Night's Watch has universally just like this insane amount of healing. Yes and no. They've got very specific builds that lend themselves to healing. It just happens to be those are your options right now to run. Which is Aemon and Jon Snow. You can run the um, the Vow list with Jorah, but he does not fit with this army in the slightest because we are running very Vow light. His time will come. He's actually one of my favorite commanders and one of my favorite characters, actually, either. Apparently, I really like the old, like, kind of grizzled sergeant guys who end up just getting killed. That's apparently a trope that, you know, I relate to, so I don't know what that says about me. Anyway, the thing about the conscripts here is that they're fairly durable, um as long as they don't just get like instantly zapped off the board. If they do, they're still only four points. So the thing is, they're kind of a throwaway unit, they're kind of expendable, but Jon Snow does give you a number of measures to actually keep them in the fight, keep them going. And this list does have a decent amount of healing when you factor in Craster, Jon Snow's uh, tactics cards as well. The whole point about the conscripts, though, they need to rush up, sit on objectives to be really cheap, and then also tie up units. That's actually the main point of having those units in this list, is that them and Ghost uh, are meant to basically be your kind of go in there and just, you know, bog down enemies. And the reason for that is because the heavy lifters in your army are going to be your ranger trackers and they're your two units of hunters. And as I said previously, the ranger hunters are one of the highest skill cap units probably in the game currently to master. So let's take some time to talk about them. They've got a speed of 6, they've got a defense save of 5, and a morale save of 6+. Alright, so they're very fast, and they're very fragile. What do they have to make up for this? Well, they've got a short bow, which is 7 dice, 
Uh, max ranks six dice and then drops down to a five, hitting on threes. With their melee profile, it's the exact same. So these guys are versatile all threat unit right here. They can attack from range, they can attack from melee, and they're not going to lose any dice. Uh, sorry, there's not, one attack is not going to be worse than the other. In addition to this, they have basically no drop-off on their attack dice. I mean, even at the last rank, they're throwing five dice, hitting on threes. In addition to this, they have Opportunist, which is the unit attacks an enemy that's not activated this round, it may reroll any misses. This means that they can afford to stay out of combat, as the main reason you would want to charge in is usually to get those charge rerolls. But here, if they're targeting an enemy that hasn't activated, they can afford to just sit out in short range there and just start plinking guys with their short bow. Their melee attack gives them Swift Strike, which is after the attack is completed, they don't make a free retreat action if it's engaged, which means these guys are incredibly hard to pin down. Now, something to note about the retreat rules is that if you disengage from an enemy, then after that uh, retreat is done, the enemy's going to get to pivot. The thing is, they're not going to get to do that if they're currently engaged. So your basic combo for this army is you're going to engage a unit with uh, conscripts just to tie them up, and then you're either going to have your ranger hunters move into position to a flank and start shooting them, so you're going to get that minus one to their defense save and minus one to their panic check, or you're going to charge in, hit them with your melee attack to cause the exact same effect and consequently not cause a panic check onto your conscripts, and then you're going to kind of bounce out of that combat Um further up the flanks, or maybe even potentially behind the unit. And that's why I kind of listed this as like the pinball army at the start, because basically you're going to send your ranger hunters just ricocheting into units, and then send them just careening up the enemy line into some positions where they're more secure, where they're not going to be able to be targeted by attacks or whatnot, because they'll be behind the lines at that point. To complement this, we also have a unit of ranger trackers. These guys are almost going to be functioning the same way there. Uh, they're light cavalry units that, by the way, should never, ever, ever be seeing melee and should always be able to make attacks in the flanks or rear of a uh, target because they're cavalry. They're going to get their free six-inch maneuver. They're going to get a two-inch shift when they make a range attack. And then they have their short range attack as well in addition to that. So a total of a 14-inch threat range. But in addition to this, they're going to, at the start of any turn, and this is very important, that's turn. It can be enemy turn. It can be, oh, sorry, friendly turn. It can be any start of turn it's not their activation they can mark a unit and make them vulnerable this is going to up the damage that your ranger trackers oh, sorry your ranger trackers can do themselves but also the ranger hunters now of course when you're attacking conscripts you know if you get the chance and it's useful okay sure but the majority of your damage is going to be coming from your hunters so this is basically going to help you stack on negatives via shooting in the flanks charging in the flanks potentially hitting the rear of this army as well and just stack on some vulnerable there uh, ideally, I actually liked running this list with two units of ranger trackers. You can kind of change the points around a bit, taking out two units of conscripts, adding in a unit of ranger trackers, a second unit of ranger trackers, and then you have two points left over so, for some attachments. That is going to cut down an activation. That does make me a little nervous here because you're also losing the ability to tie up the enemy a bit. Um, but... There are some different options there for builds. So that is one variant for this build that you can look at is subtracting two units of conscripts, adding in a unit of trackers if you want to go just hyper, hyper mobile. And then you're going to have two points left over for other attachments. In that case, um, you can stick in a watch, uh, a watch captain in your ranger hunters unit to give them two vows. You could stick in Brom into the unit of ranger hunters, which actually would probably be my number one choice there. Um, or you could play around and throw in some watch recruiters as well to bolster up your conscripts or, you know, some other options there. 
Uh, a third option would also, sorry, a fourth option there would actually be to put like Brienne into the second unit of Ranger Hunters as well, just to have them go and mark a target and really kind of decimate them out if you need to. Plus the Stalwart helps as well. But I find that um, in this list specifically, because Night's Watch already gravitates toward using the uh, Wealth Zone so much, Braum is actually a good little addition for this. So Jon Snow, what is he bringing as a commander? Well, he's in a unit of Ranger Hunters, which is going to give them Indomitable. So when the unit passes the morale test, they can absorb to D3 wounds. You've got a pretty good morale at a 6 plus here, so that's going to give them some sustainability, and you're a little fragile, so that's going to help. He's going to bring Ghost along for the um, fight as well, which is going to give you two unblockable um, hits when Ghost is attacking and deny enemy tactics cards, which is going to be nice and useful because... Really, your Ranger Hunters have the mobility to get themselves out of nasty situations, but no one likes surprises. And there are a number of uh, tactics and abilities, depending on the army you're playing against, that can really mess this up. The Ranger Hunters don't like to get stuck into combat with any prolonged engagements. Anything that cancels abilities on them or any type of defensive blowback type stuff, that's really going to hurt. The thing about this list is that it doesn't really have a lot of concerns for targets that the enemy the hard targets that the enemy has because it usually can just kind of outmaneuver or out counter a lot of those things so for example if your opponent is running a heavy cavalry list like say they're spamming a bunch of knights of casterly rock or flayedmen or something like that your conscripts are going to have a rough time with that but the thing is the conscripts are half the points of any of those units so it's to be expected but your ranger trackers can actually get into the flanks to counter their counter cavalry to start shooting them there as well. In addition to that, your hunters, you know, are going to be able to get into the flanks, be able to shoot guys, and you've got ghosts looting around the board as well. Uh, the thing is about most cavalry that exists in the game currently, you're going to have the flayed men who are going to be a 10-point unit that really doesn't want to get bogged down. So take some conscripts into them, and you should have the healing enough to outsustain them, assuming that you can weather that initial hit. The thing is, if they're going to be targeting your conscripts with that, then your hunters can come in and really start hitting them from the flanks, which no one likes. There's also the same thing with uh, Knights of Casterly Rock. You can go into the flanks, start hitting them there, retreat out, and yes, they can come in and charge you with their lances, and it's going to hurt, but that's also where Jon Snow's healing effects are going to come into play. Specifically via the use of his three tactics cards that he's got. Um, it shall not end until my death which is you can make a morale test on success. You are not destroyed, but remain in play of one wound. And then you can potentially get a uh, activation token out of that as well, which is going to be really important here because, again, even a second um, activation in a row with the Ranger Hunters is going to allow them to slingshot themselves back behind an enemy line. You also have Stand United Brothers, which is when they pass a combat... Uh, sorry, uh, when a friendly unit passes a morale test... Another friendly unit may restore up to D3 plus 1 wounds. This is going to be helpful for keeping your guys in combat longer um, and just bogging down the enemy. You're going to do a lot of kind of shooting into combats, which are going to trigger morale tests for your own guys. And I know that the conscripts don't have the best morale save for this, but if you know your ranger hunters or units of conscripts start passing saves, Jon Snow can really start bolstering up the other units around him and just keep that kind of grind going longer. The best card you have, and actually your power play unit, is going to be the unit of hunters that Jon Snow is in, because you're going to gain access for for the watch. When a friendly combat unit activates, you choose one of the following effects. If the unit contains Jon Snow, you can choose two effects. The unit gains plus two speed this turn. This is insanely useful for hunters, because this is going to allow them to get up there, 
get their ranged attack in, potentially get some charges in. But the important thing, when they retreat, that plus two speed is going to really come into handy. Because that's going to give them an eight plus a d6. That's going to put them well outside the threat range, on average, of most other units. So even if you roll a four plus, you're going to put yourself at 12 inches away. Most units have a speed of five, which means they're not going to be able to countercharge you there. You're going to be well outside that. Uh, the unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit this turn. So that's going to increase your rangers to hitting on a two plus. Your conscripts are then going to be hitting on a three plus, but frankly, it's a bit of a waste to use on them. You kind of want to save this for uh, your hunters if they need it. And then you have uh, the unit may restore up to two wounds and remove one condition token. Again, really forcing in that healing aspect that John has. So the thing is, this list is going to be taking your healing to kind of an extreme here, as long as you can weather initial assaults. Now, moving back to the other tactics cards here, you're going to have your vow effects to stick on your hunters. And again, with hunters, I'm a big fan of watch captains with them. It does make them a big expensive unit, but they really benefit from having multiple vows. But again, we just couldn't find the points for it in this list. So the ones that you want to put on them. Uh, the Sword in the Darkness is always a nice card with them because they already have a high sustained amount of attack dice. So getting that plus two and making the enemy vulnerable, you're going to be able to hit them, slingshot out, and then keeping it on them for when you control the combat zone. You know, this is going to help you benefit and just get extra dice. The best card for them, though, is going to be the Watcher on the Wall. When a friendly unit is attacked, one other friendly unit may make a free maneuver or march action. The thing is, is that your conscripts are going to be big, juicy targets for the enemy because they're going to see their terrible defensive stats and just go and try to just rampage into them. And that's exactly what you want, because when they do that, you're going to be able to trigger Watcher on the Wall and allow your Hunter units to get further up those flanks. And really, that's what you want to do. Get those hunters up into the flanks of the enemy and start penalizing them and punishing them with that minus one to defense and the minus one to the morale test. In addition, you also have, again, as I keep bringing back up, some really cheap conscript units. So you're going to make adamant use of, and now his watch is ended. The thing about this card, though, is that's going to be half useless for you because you are not going to be able to take any vow cards um, from the unit because they don't have any. But you can get an extra activation token from a friendly unit or remove an NCU from the tactics board. Now, usually you're not going to care about removing the NCU because the two that we have in this list, you just don't really care about double activating them. But removing an activation token from one of your hunter units, again, every time these hunter units go, they should be punishing someone in the flank or getting a charge in to allow them to slingshot somewhere else across the board. So every activation you get with these guys is just going to be super, super useful. Um, those are probably going to be the best tactics cards that you have access to. Now, a lot of people do like the Shield of the Realms of Men, and it's going to help you survive some initial onslaughts. But the thing about it is that the Vow effect of equipping into a unit to help them uh, then conditionally block D3 hits as long as you control the Wealth Zone... That's not really going to be super useful for the hunters because if they're really in a position where they're getting constantly attacked, you're making misplays and they're not going to survive that anyway with their defensive stats. And again, going back to the conscripts, can't equip them to begin with. So that's the thing. Your throwaway units that you're going to get in combat here, they are throwaway units. They're just meant there to hold the enemy up in combat. That's their sole purpose in existing. And your actual threat units here, they need to just be avoiding combat wherever they can. You know, your trackers and your two units of hunters. Overall, though, I really do enjoy playing this list. I think it's a lot of fun. It's really going to help you key it off of positioning and things like that. And for objective-based games, it is um, really cool. Just because 
the thing is, a lot of people focus too much on just killing units, killing enemies, and that's not how you win the game. You win this game through objective control, and mobility is a key aspect of that. Another mistake that you'll have with this list is if you try to take your important units, your hunters and your trackers, and you just want to use them to camp on objectives. That's really kind of what your conscripts are for. As not to say that your other units can't, but you need to be smart about it. You need to be sitting them on objectives, getting to places where the enemy has nothing to actually do to counter you. For example, um, Dance with Dragons is a game mode that this list absolutely loves because, yes, while your speed can be reduced, keep in mind that that's your speed stat. When you retreat, you're going to move your speed plus a d6. So with the Ranger Hunters, yeah, they can pick up a token and it's going to really hurt their speed, but they can still retreat for free after they make an attack, so they can at least get out of combat. Uh, you also have cheap conscripts that I guess can go and pick up the tokens, but that's, you know, maybe not the best thing. But you have enough mobility of this list that you can actually, you know, get around the board. Uh, Game of Thrones mode, you can actually get into some backline objectives where usually an opponent might have, you know, one or two objectives in their near their deployment zone or somewhere back that that you're kind of using on ignore, those are the ones you should be targeting because you're going to be splitting their forces up and usually targeting units that they might consider safe. For a Clash of Kings, this list is actually becomes a lot of fun as well because, yeah, your guys can get destroyed, but then they're going to come right back in in the flanks, which is exactly where they want to be to begin with. And they've got the speed to really punish the enemy um, when they do so. So overall, this list is a lot of fun. Um, I recommend trying it out, but again, I want to point out that this is not a list for newcomers. This is a list that's going to have a bit of a high skill cap to it, so just know that going in and understand that. You're really going to have to get the um, dichotomy of the Ranger Hunters from actually playing them, making mistakes, and then learning how to improve that the next time you play. But I honestly do feel that when they're properly mastered, an army containing trackers and hunters working in tandem can really just be a beautiful thing. And the options and list building potential that you have with these guys is only going to expand more as the hero boxes come out and we get some additional commander and attachment options but that's going to be a podcast for another day so hopefully you'll join me then and that's it for this time so hope you guys enjoyed this and we'll see you then